This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Check out the title drop video for my upcoming novel, Only the Dead. You can find that on my Instagram, at Jack Carr USA, and also on my website, officialjackcar.com. That is coming out in spring of 2023 and is available for pre-order now. My guest today is Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi is a former congresswoman, veteran, 2020 presidential candidate, and host of the new Society and Culture podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Tulsi Gabbard. And now, without further ado, here's Tulsi. Tulsi! Here we are. This is awesome! <laughs> this is crazy! So you are my first sit-down guest I am in the so studio. Stoked. I'm I mean, so happy to be here. Uh, Timing, everything, everything works out, right, as it's supposed to. Yeah. And uh, I think my trip here was planned less than a week ago. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? I, oh, yeah. Wow. So thanks. Thanks to, to you and your team for being oh. so flexible. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. There was uh, so I was I'm recorded through January. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm just sitting down and I'm writing the book. I'm finishing yeah. the, finishing the book. And then, uh, then I found out you were, then we, we connected, you're coming oh, through. I'm like, oh, and halt. And, yeah. uh, no. uh, so you're like the only person I would stop for. And, uh, and thank, thank you for you. taking the time. Oh my God. And it's a great excuse to, to finally get to hang out too. Yeah. You know, that's the most, uh, that's, that's the, the reason I really like the podcast is because it's an excuse to put the phones down yes. and just get to hang out for yeah. a little bit, but you're the first person that's in studio. And of course from Hawaii, it's snowing it's outside. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's Very like freezing a little cold in here. We haven't quite figured out, uh, cause this is the first snow with the new podcast studio. So, um, and then oh, it's beautiful. Oh. It's absolutely beautiful in here. Um, you wouldn't think looking from the outside, what you got going on, but I love it. I love the setup and just how you've how you've designed it. It's, it's Thank perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted it to be a working space and not just a, um, like set. a fake studio yeah, exactly. set. Yeah, exactly. So I can come in here and write, we can come in here and, uh, you know, pour some whiskeys and hang yeah. out and, and then have a little patio outside, start a little fire. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I wanted it to be a usable space. Um, and I think we, we definitely did that. It took a bit of work, but finally, finally there. Yeah. And, uh, and my first guest on the podcast, uh, was, um, Katie Pavlich mm -hmm. and that was in March of 2021. I think oh, we did wow. that. Okay. And so she was the first guest and now uh, you were the awesome. first guest in studio. She is amazing. And, uh, and you guys got to hang out recently. We did. Yeah. We did. It's funny. Cause we've, we've have so many mutual friends mm. who keep on bringing up like each other's name to each other. Mm. I've met her briefly in passing at a dinner, probably a few actually earlier this year. Uh, but literally it was just a quick hello and mm. other things were happening. But, uh, the funny thing was, uh, I was in Hawaii, uh, going in, getting a gun from our local uh, FFL. Oh, I want to talk to you about that. And, uh, and the, the shop is called Young Guns, and I was talking with the owner and his wife, and uh, we were having a, a great conversation about everything that's going on in the country and in Hawaii and everything yeah. else, and he's like, oh, Tulsi, you know who you really, you really got to get to know, Katie Pavlich. Nice. And uh, he's talking about her show, and just they're, they're big fans of hers, and I was like, funny you should mention that. We're actually planning on getting together soon. So it was great. A few weeks ago, we had a chance to sit down and, um, have breakfast and, and yeah. got to catch up and talk a little bit. 
Yeah, that's great. And uh, I'm so glad that you guys are both the first uh, first guest and first yeah. guest in here. It's super cool. And I let her know that you were going to be here. And so we awesome. were texting about that the other night. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thanks for coming Thank all the way you. up here. I do wish it was a little warmer. I do wish it was a little warmer. It's all here. good. We're to work on work on that, especially um, coming from Hawaii. What that's was it like? I brought? That's why I brought my uh, my winter jacket. You did. I saw it right over there. Yeah, cold. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. Um, Utah company right here. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful yeah. company. Great values. Uh, mm. I had a chance to visit them uh, during my presidential campaign when nice. I came through here a couple of years ago, and it's just great to see people who live their values. Yeah. You know, it's it's so often obviously in politics and with politicians. But even just in our society in general, you know, people talk about virtue signaling and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. It's just so nice to see, you know, like a great American business yeah. um, sat down with the owner uh, and, um, you know, he has he has very strong views about governance and um, the role of government should be limited in our society and so on. Anyway, just again takes great care of his employees and, and great, uh, great American business here. Yeah. Right down the road. I think I'm wearing their pants right now. Yeah. Yeah. They reached out. I, I posted something. I tagged them in something. The next thing I know about a big box of, of coal stuff arrived, That's which nice. is, uh, yeah, which is very cool. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. That happens every now and again. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so, uh, I want to go back, uh, cause you ran for your first political office at 21. Yes. That's wild. <laughs> like how many 21 year olds are running for office, not there. That there many. are a few. There are a few more now, yeah. um, which is is encouraging for me to see. Um, I met, uh, gosh, I forget where I was, but met a city council member who was like, you know, twenty two, and uh, it, it is. It's great to see more young people just getting involved and engaged yeah. in the process. I spoke at an event um, uh, for the Young Americans for Liberty a mm. few months ago. And their organization was kind of inspired by Ron Paul's run for president. And it was really cool to go and stand in a huge ballroom with a couple thousand college students who aren't just there like, oh, cool, we'll just go have fun at a conference and then yeah. go back to life. Like super passionate, mm -hmm. fired up uh, for freedom wow. and the constitution. Wow. And I left that, I left that conference really hopeful because they are, they are the next generation and mm. they were there and they had, I think two days of like speakers and workshops and really arming themselves with the tools to be able to go back to their college campuses and actually put in the work wow. and talk to people and inform and engage and, you know, deal with both what's happening on campus, but also, you know, uh, local state and county laws and mm -hmm. getting involved. It's just, it was it was, it was a different kind of speech. It was, I was talking about freedom and I was talking about foreign policy, something you and I have talked about. Um, and these kids were, they were screaming out. It was very interactive. Really? They were screaming stuff out like throughout the speech nice. and uh, just fired up, man. And that was, wow. a, so there's hope. I love that you are There's hopeful. Hope. I love that you are hopeful. Um, that's one of the things I admire so much about you is that uh, you're talking about these serious issues, obviously, yeah. but you you do so with this hope and optimism. And I try to be hopeful, especially publicly, but uh, it's hard. It's tough. It's hard. And it's tough. and you know if if all you're exposed to is what you're seeing on Twitter or mm -hmm. what you're seeing on cable news um, and kind of just the 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 vitriol and the rhetoric and the hatred and just uh all of the things if that's all you see from mm -hmm. the outside uh it it i mean it, it's nothing but darkness yeah i'm grateful to have had the experience both throughout my presidential campaign but even since you know over this last year 
in the post COVID when we're actually able to start getting together again, um, you know, my hope comes from the spirit of the American people. And it's not just one small pocket of group of people here or there in certain parts of the country. There are, there are people who are not buying into, you know, uh, party power and the team thing like Mm -hmm. yeah obviously that's there but i believe that most people in this country really love our country and are really concerned about the direction that we're headed and and want to do something about it but might not know how or what to do but just that recognition of the problem and recognition of you know our founders very deliberately choosing the the we the people Mm -hmm. as those first three words they were speaking to us, yeah. every one of us. And so there, there is hope. There is hope. But our future, our future depends on our willingness as individuals, as Americans, to step up and take ownership and take responsibility for what that future looks like. Yeah, and that's uh, tough if all you do is look at Twitter and yeah. see t- cancel culture popping up, every, you know, all that stuff. And that's your, that, that's your vision because it's very loud. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of voices there that are, are loud and oftentimes not very nice, not very thoughtful. Um, and, uh, that's I can generous. see how you just, yeah. Let's <laughs> 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 yep, yep. And, uh, you know, you want to keep that at arm's length that yeah. it is so negative and, you know, yeah. you get to the, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you can decide, well, 30 years ago, you could decide who you're physically going to spend time with. Um, today, a lot of times that is now in the palm of your hand and you yeah. get to choose who you're going to spend time with. And a lot of those people on that are on these platforms are just negative yeah. and it's, uh, and that, that come that, you know, that, that, that it's, that, it's easy to let that poison seep in. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. It's tough. So I try to try to remain hopeful, but I love that you are optimistic about things. Um, because oftentimes I think that if, uh, if there was a boat headed for, uh, the new world mm-hmm. that I would just get on it with my family and <laughs> off we would go into the unknown yeah. and, uh, make a, a life for ourselves out of the wilderness. But that doesn't exist anymore. No. Um, this is the last, the last hope um, in this country for for those freedoms to preserve those freedoms and pass them on for the next generation. Because really, we're not making these decisions for us today; no. it's for the next generation. Exactly. So exactly. we're the inheritors of that, and you know that's why I like taking my daughter to uh, to Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. um, to uh, to Normandy, mm-hmm. and uh, she has this appreciation for all that was sacrificed. Um, I mean, this last June, she was standing on the beach at Normandy uh, with a guy who was like first out of his landing craft and he's a hundred years old. We're in an old Jeep and she's sitting there with him and he's telling her what it was like to run through the water and then run up to these cliffs. And she has this appreciation because they sacrificed so much so that now she can make her own decisions. But if you just kind of read that, I mean, it's important to read that, obviously. And I'm a huge proponent of, of, of history and having a foundation and understanding yeah. where these rights came from, why they exist, um, rather than just, oh, they do exist, but maybe times have changed. But understanding where they came from. Exactly. And so, um, so you have an appreciation for those generations before us and what they sacrificed yeah. so that we could now be in this little booth to vote yeah. uh, because it makes a difference for the next generation. So that appreciation part, I think is so, so important, but um, but But I think, I think just on that point, I think this is one of the biggest problems with our education, our public education system as a whole is, you know, that foundational understanding of history, where we come from, how we got here, basic civics. Mm -hmm. um, It, it just isn't, it either isn't being taught or it isn't being taught accurately or given the level of importance that that it deserves to the point now where there there are kids who I've met who 
don't really know or remember what happened on 9-11. When September 11th comes around, it's like, oh, wait, what? What is today about? When that anniversary comes around Mm -hmm. and being in Hawaii, there are kids who come through and they're like, Pearl Harbor? Like, they don't know what Pearl Harbor means or the significance of the place. And um, what to speak of, like, how government works and why it's important to be involved in this in this system and and so that's what's so maddening when we know that somewhere around half of kids graduate from high school functionally illiterate uh and you look at the kinds of things that the teachers union and the departments of education are placing an emphasis on in Mm -hmm. you know teaching highly inappropriate graphic sexual content to kids in elementary school and Mm -hmm. middle school this whole gender ideology and, and all of this stuff that's really, um, you know, these are things that belong in the home, parents to impart to their kids, not for teachers and the education system and the government to, um, it's, it's not even, I mean, it's not even about teaching. There is an active effort to push this on, yeah. on our kids. And again, what about the basics? You know, people talk about how are we competitive in the global economy and how are mm. we setting our kids up for success? to be prosperous in whatever profession they choose, but our country and our society is failing them at the most basic level uh, when it comes to education. Yeah, what a confusing time to be a kid. Yeah. Um, You know, our 17-year-old, she caught the tail end of the confusion part here, but our youngest one who's 12, like he's growing up in Mm -hmm. that. Um, So now it takes an extra effort on the home front um, to discuss things that you would never have had to discuss 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um, because there wasn't wasn't any debate about a couple couple things back then. Right. Um, But uh, but what a confusing time to be a kid. I think about that. My wife and I think about that all the time. Like, gosh, we feel so bad. Bad, but we can't get caught like talking about that. Yeah. Like even when they're, we think they're in their room because yeah. they're listening yeah, all the time. Course. So I don't want listening that to add watching. to that confusion by, yeah. uh, by talking about it in the, in the wrong way. It's kind of yeah. like when COVID hit, you have a, uh, an opportunity to either, uh, instill in your kids a, uh, a sense of what it means to be a good citizen and be prepared and what it, uh, and what your responsibilities are as a citizen, or you could scare the heck out of them, uh, having a hushed conversation in the kitchen, in the living room. I'm so worried about my job where, especially yeah. at the beginning of COVID, yeah. uh, where are we going to get our next meal? Yeah. I'm so, you know, all these things that are just worrisome, um, or, you could be that example that was prepared, or if you weren't, you can still have that conversation and maybe intentionally within your shot where you can say, Hey, you know what? We weren't so prepared for, but guess what we're going to do? We're all going to go get a CPR class. We're all going to learn how to put on a tourniquet. We're all going to learn how to do these, these fire extinguishers are five years, uh, expired. You know what? We're going to get the, put new ones in and you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out in the backyard, make a little fire and we're all going to learn how to do this together. Um, and we're going to have a little water maybe and some food depending on where you live. And, and so you can make it a positive learning thing also. So it's just, but yeah. it's the same situation, yeah. but you get to decide kind of how you're going to frame that. Completely. Um, but, and that's where yeah. there is. I think, you know, again, I'm choosing the optimistic <laughs> kind of hopeful <laughs> side is that yeah. there is a silver lining in each of these challenges. There is opportunity, yeah. um, you know, individually with families, but also really looking at those opportunities for us to come together as a country. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've been talking about everywhere I've been going, um, uh, you know, in the days leading up to this, this election is, is just, 
set aside all the labels, mm -hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you, do you fit in? Exactly, Which box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use mm -hmm. when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person, mm -hmm. always. I've never been... Um, you know, in the, I was a vice chair of the Democratic National Party for a few years, yeah. something that uh, I was asked to do within, gosh, probably two weeks of being sworn in as a member of Congress. Really? I, I was, uh, this was right around the time that President Obama's second inauguration was happening. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the backseat of a car going from one event to the next one evening, got a call saying, hey, what would your answer be if you were asked to serve as vice chair of the DNC? <laughs> I was like, what does a vice chair of the DNC <laughs> right. do? Hold on, let like, me what this. do you want from? Like, what uh -huh. are you what are you really asking of me? Uh, but you know, I, I accepted and as seeing it as an opportunity to try to bring about some positive change, and mm. you know, hope hope that the Democratic Party would be back centered on kind of the traditional JFK kind of traditional liberalist values. Yeah. Um, but saw during that period, you know, at different campaign events and so on, or on election time, this mantra that started to be popularized, which was vote blue, no matter who. Uh, and people on stage would say, vote blue, no matter who. And people in the crowd would be like, vote blue, no matter uh, who. I'm like, what are you talking about? No matter who. Yeah. Like, that's a horrible message to send. Uh, I don't care what party you're in. Both parties are guilty of it to a degree. Yeah. When, you know, you look at, you look at, um, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, judge people on the content of their character, yep, not, not their by the color of their mm -hmm. skin, not by any of these other superficial trappings that surround us. Look at the content of their character. What, what values do they represent? Are they aligned with yours? Vote for what kind of leader and representative and public servant that person yeah. will be. That's what matters the most. And that's where in, in kind of the sorry state of our politics, where in the midst of the divisiveness, we have an opportunity to get back to the basics as people mm -hmm. say, well, who are we really? If our freedoms are under attack, and they are, if we're concerned about parents' rights being taken away by the government, mm -hmm. if we're concerned about safety and rising crime in our communities, all these different things that are very real concerns that mm -hmm. don't just affect Democrats or Republicans, but that affect families and people everywhere, let's get back to the basics and recognize our connection and our bond as the American people yeah. together. And then we can treat each other with respect, recognize like I might have an, a, a different idea of how to reduce crime mm -hmm. than you would. Fine. Cool. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And I might have some good ideas. You might have some good ideas. We end up coming up with something that actually helps us move the ball forward. Yeah. It's interesting how I was thinking about this. I jotted down some notes that I haven't even looked at yet because I know we're not going to get to like, <laughs> any of them. Uh, but uh, how, how infrequently these days that... Uh, politicians that 20 years ago would have talked about JFK in almost every speech yeah. or Martin Luther King in like every speech they would have started or ended with a quote, uh, rarely yeah. anymore, uh, which says a lot. Um, and especially if you go back and look at some of those speeches where you, uh, there was one the other day I saw, uh, and a few years ago I looked up this, uh, like the presidential physical fitness, uh, mm -hmm. thing and, uh, like JFK standards that they had in the early sixties. And it's pretty serious. Really? Oh, you know, it's pretty serious. Yeah. They were not messing around back then. Uh, and then what it is today, like, and the, some of the things that they said about being in shape, I mean, it's all good, great stuff, Yeah. but today it would be offensive. 
for wow. sure. Um, but I noticed that that rarely do you see um, politicians on the left. And there's a difference between the left and classical liberalism. And, so. uh, and it's so sad that we've lost essentially that that classical liberal that you could be, you know, you could be proud to be. You could stand up for free speech, you know, mm-hmm. even if it was horrible and you disagreed with it. Um, but that classical liberal would stand up for it today. That leftist, which is different, that's why it's so un- important to understand these terms and uh, precision in language reflects precision in thought, yes. and you can't interchange them, although people do. Um, but the, the leftist side is that's the censorship side. I'd yeah. say this is uh, dangerous, this is uh, hurtful, harmful, mm-hmm. whatever you're going to use in order to censor or pressure private companies to censor. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely not the classical liberal that no. a lot of us grew up with in 60s, 70s, 80s 90s even yeah uh, that seems to be either gone or suppressed um i don't know which maybe a combination a bit of a bit of both i think i think there's a new um well definitely those who are in control of the democrat party today it's lost yeah it's lost i i don't know what they label themselves i don't even know if they would use the term liberal anymore Mm. Um, because it's not, you know, when you look back at that traditional definition, it's, it's a hundred percent the opposite of it. And as you said, they are trying to silence people who really are representing, you know, the, the Democrats of, of my father and grandfather's Mm -hmm. era. Um, and that, that frankly is, is what's, what's so dangerous. I've, I've lived through this and, um, experienced exactly, you know, the tactics that they use Mm -hmm. and how, it's, it's not, there, there's no space for you to say, well, okay, we'll agree to disagree. That was, you know, when I was 21 and I ran for office, I was not, my family wasn't like politically affiliated, like you will be a Democrat because of this or yeah. that in the family. And so I really looked at, you know, what, what do the two parties stand for? And this was back in 2002 in Hawaii. I looked at Hawaii's history um, and, and I won't get into it in, in all the detail, but basically the Democratic Party came into power in Hawaii because the Republican Party had ruled since the days of uh, it being a territory. Mm. And it was for very wealthy Republican landowners who essentially became the government. Mm. And uh, there were a lot of immigrant plantation workers, a lot of local plantation workers who were essentially indentured slaves. Yeah, treated horribly. Horribly. Mm -hmm. And it was the ILWU and the birth of the Democrat Party in Hawaii was centered around, this is no way to treat our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, our friends. Mm -hmm. And so they fought for them. Uh, And it was a Democrat Party that stood for those traditional liberal values of individual freedom, of Mm -hmm. a government of by and for the people, of, you know, the rights, uh, treating people with respect and with dignity and honor and a, a big tent party that welcomed people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, yeah. not saying you have to be, you know, walking in lockstep as a monolithic entity. And today's Democratic Party could not be more different from that. Mm-hmm. There is no room for dissent. There is no room for anyone who's uh, got a different view on one issue or another. There is no room for anyone it's gotten to a point where there's like these fanatical ideologues are in control. If you are not, you can even say like, okay, fine. I agree. But if you're not out there marching the picket line with the bullhorn, waving the flag, you know, wearing the pink pussy hat and the women's March and Mm -hmm. all of it, if you are not doing all of those things, 
you're not good enough yeah. because you don't really, you're not a true believer. It's scary. Exactly. It's it's scary. It is. It is. Scary. It is. And that's, and then, and then, so you take, you take how they're working with big tech to try to censor and silence yeah. people. And you take how, well, they are the party in power right now and, and how they're politicizing public institutions mm -hmm. to go after their political opponents or to force compliance on whatever the issue or narrative of the day is, which is exactly what's happening I mean, this is where you get into, um, you you see how it has taken a turn towards these kind of increasingly authoritarian um, policies or moving in that direction, which directly, I mean, it undermines it undermines the foundation of this country. Yeah, the part the. You know, the part that's always interesting to me is where you have the, the education system with, let's say, college and universities and mm -hmm. professors that are actively now calling for censorship yeah. and they've moved from classical liberalism to this leftist. But, I mean, these people are surrounded by books and libraries full of history where they can go and crack open uh, uh, any of these dictatorships that are leftists and what do they do first and how do they do it and who do they eventually come for? Yeah. They're coming for you eventually. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's... It's so short-sighted. Uh, it is. I just can't see yeah. how that they don't just take a take an afternoon yeah. and go to the library yeah. and you know look, look at some of these places look at Cuba look at some of these places and just kind of, kind of go through that and maybe mm -hmm. take a breath and think about where you are and what you stand for and then realize that uh, oh when they come for you who's going to be standing up for you yeah exactly you know um, that that part is tough so I'm glad to hear that there's young people that are coming to your events and your yeah. speeches and are engaged and are going to go back on these campuses yeah. and uh, have conversations and be willing I mean, to gosh. be willing to have the tough conversations because in a lot of these campuses it's hard to be the one voice you know not just going along with the crowd um i did a town hall in uh the southern part of washington state a few days ago with uh joe kent who's running for congress yeah. there and um it was so cute there was there were two sisters who came up to ask a question uh, Phoebe and Claire were their names. Claire was the older sister. Phoebe's the younger sister. I think they were 10 and 12 years old. And uh, Phoebe asked the question of Joe. Claire asked the question of me. And her question was, you know, I'm going to school every day and I'm really concerned about um, uh, history and social studies mm -hmm. class specifically because talking about history, everything is like according to the book. But once you start talking about present day society, she said, this is where things start to just get mm. really messy and yeah. uncomfortable and weird. She's, her question for me was, how do I find the courage to speak up mm. in class? And I thought it was such a great question yeah. and amazing coming from this 12-year-old girl. Um, and she said that when she thinks about speaking up or when she does, it's, she's always answered back with like, well, yeah, but what about this? Or yeah, but mm. what about that? And so we, we just had a great dialogue and, and she's an introvert. I was, I'm an introvert growing yeah. up and, and there were a lot of similarities. Uh, but I just shared with her, I was like, Claire, do your research, do your homework so that when they say, yeah, but you have an answer yeah. and you can say, yeah, and here's why, or right. here's what's happening. And know that whatever fears and insecurities that you have about standing up and speaking out, knowing that, you know, you might not be, you might have somebody else coming out for you. Know that there are definitely other kids in your class yeah. who feel exactly the same way that you do, who are also scared to speak up. Mm -hmm. And that when you speak up, 
you give them courage yeah. and inspire them. Yeah. And uh, it was just, it was, I was, I was inspired by her. Yeah, that's fantastic. Just asking great. the age, question. Like fifth grade or whatever they're, yeah, fifth grade, sixth exactly. grade. And I know there were a ton of adults in that room of like 200 people listening, also feeling the same way yeah. at work or, work, you know, at family yeah. gatherings, being afraid to be that one voice to be like, hey guys, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, do and that's it, do what it. we need more of. Like yeah. the, the whole that that's the that's the dangerous consequence of this whole culture of cancel culture and you know fomenting fear of anyone who dares to step out of line or say anything that's different mm -hmm. from what what the mainstream on TV is but when you think about and you look at our history like that's the beauty even of our founding fathers how vigorous they were yeah. in their disagreements with each other yeah it was serious it's serious yeah. <laughs> um but that makes us better and stronger in yeah. exercising our own freedom of speech. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there. So gosh, um, when you talk about that on college campuses and then these kids in let's say sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, they're seeing the news and maybe they're seeing on social media. Oh, wait a sec. Why did this person, they went to speak at UC Berkeley and there was mm -hmm. protests outside yeah. and there was violence and this person couldn't even speak. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's our, wow. Okay. So I think that when that started happening, and I want to, I might get this a little off, but it's semi close. Let's say 2008, 2009, 2010, when people started getting shouted down at these college campuses mm -hmm. and wouldn't even allowed, it wasn't just protest outside as you walk in and give your speech and have a debate and then, and then go off to, uh, you know, go off to the next one. Um, there's violence, there's broken windows, yeah. there's, uh, there's Shoes chaos, being thrown there's, and it's all insane kinds of and yeah. you can't even do it. And so, but what they saw, what the lesson was for a lot of those people, I think that were in college at the time, was that hey, throwing these temper tantrums uh, and having these this violence uh, works because mm -hmm. guess what, the person couldn't speak. And yeah. then what did the university do? Uh, in most cases, uh, they essentially sided with the people that made it impossible for that speaker to get up there yeah. and have that debate. And so those people who are let's say 19, 20, 21, now mm -hmm. guess what. They're in their thirties and they guess what worked for them back then. Yeah. And now where are they in these different corporations? Exactly. So I think a lot of that filtered up and obviously it continues today. So now you have this kind of wave of people That's who really see point. what had, what worked for them back then. Uh, and now it's just natural. Yeah. It's just a part of them. They don't even understand the history of, uh, of our, of our country, of the constitution of, of our bill of rights. Right. Uh, they just know that, Hey, throwing this tamper tantrum and breaking windows and shouting people down worked. Gosh. Guess what? It's going to work in this corporation too. Now that I'm in middle management mm -hmm. um, and eventually I'll work my way up and, yeah. It's, it's That's scary. where leadership comes in, right? Yeah. I mean, if even those if college it, campuses had stood yeah. up for those classical liberal yeah. ideas of uh, freedom of speech, right. have this debate, letting marketplace the of ideas. Piece, letting the mm -hmm. speakers say their piece. But they piece. didn't for the no. most part. No. They didn't have the curse. And even that. now, right, we're seeing it, I think, in different, um, in corporate culture. And, and I think we're seeing play out in real time uh, CEOs and leaders of these corporations who are exercising real leadership mm -hmm. and not responding to the childlike temper tantrums and others who are cowering in fear and immediately just bend it, like bowing, yeah. bowing to the pressure of one or yeah. two or a few people. It doesn't work long-term. It's no. not going to work for you long-term. No. Um, maybe a little short-term game on Twitter. And yeah. People will, you know, will quiet down for a second, but guess what? Long-term, it's not working. And then what's also interesting is where uh, today people study the Constitution. Uh, and I, let's Going back in the memory banks, let's say we actually read it and studied it, let's say in junior high or something mm -hmm. um like one time 
or maybe in high school, whatever, yeah. one time. Um, that's the basis for everything. And you're hitting it once with maybe a teacher who is not going to um, uh, do it in a way that uh, incorporates history and other founding documents and, and all of that. So and and I was talking to a guy who uh, in Vietnam went to boot camp during Vietnam, and they studied the Constitution in boot camp in the Army wow. in the 60s. Um, and guess what we didn't study? And guess what I bet they don't study today? I, Constitution. We didn't yeah. when I went through basic training. Yet you're, you're swearing this oath to protect yeah. and defend yeah. and uh, uphold and defend. And, um, and you're not even reading the document first. Yeah. That's very telling. It is. And I mean, it should obviously be studied throughout your time in school, yeah. um, but it's not even there. It's maybe a touch point here or there. You're told it's a living document and yeah. whatever else, uh, but you yeah. can't really study it today because yeah. if the kids are to read that stuff and read the Bill of Rights and then look over and see this cancel culture and see the censorship stuff and be like, well, what's, I'm not understanding here. Yeah. Why can't that person say what they, what they, what they want? Right. Uh, it says so right here. Yeah. Uh, so that's a problem. You know, what's crazy is, uh, in Congress, I think it's on constitution day. Um, there is a reading of the constitution on the house floor from start to finish and every those members of Congress who choose to go and participate in it mm. go and read a section, basically people taking turns until you go through the whole thing. Um, the first year that I found out about this, I volunteered and I wanted to go down and be a part of it. And I don't remember who told me this, but someone told me, because there, there were not very many members of Congress participating really? at all. And I, I questioned <sighs> someone about why that was. And um, the answer that I got was, well, a lot of Democrats see this as just a right-wing conservative thing mm -hmm. to go to the House floor and read the Constitution that, as you said, every one of us, as members of Congress, obviously those of us who wear the uniform, same thing, raise our right hand mm -hmm. and swear to uphold. And that was very disturbing to me. Yeah. But also, when you look at the results and you look at the fruits that that tree is bearing... Well, you get it. Yeah. It's so place no value. If you, play, if you place no value on it and you don't understand it and don't try to recognize why our founders put those, you know, put those amendments in there, why they chose that language yeah. and how it is very much relevant uh, to and important for us yeah. today, then we end up with what we have. It almost seems like that needs to be mandatory for uh, people in Congress. Yeah. Um, and we try to read it every year here. Same thing, Constitution Day, which I think is September or something, um, uh, I think. But I post about it I every year. Right. Yep. I put up, a, put up a little post about it with the Constitution in there and a few other things. Um, that's what I gave my kids for my retirement ceremony from, from the military. Um, they had a uh, leather-bound Constitution with the mm. Bill of Rights. Uh, so I gave them that. I gave them a Bible with their with their name on it. Um, gave them a compass, old nautical compass. And when I gave them the, bot, the Bible and the compass, I said, here are things to guide you. And then I said, here are God given natural rights in its constitution they cannot be taken away uh, because they're natural rights and then i gave them that tomahawk the ones that are right up there yeah and i said here's the means to defend it there you go and, uh, so i, I post <laughs> fully on, equipped that's it that's <laughs> it so uh so hopefully that's they'll remember so that great. you know later on they'll pull those things out and yeah. you know uh, think about what they they meant and why i chose those four things yeah. to to give them at my re retirement ceremony but uh gosh it seems like and it's interesting I, so in my next in my next book uh, i was doing some research on 
on uh, the uh, the oath that mm-hmm. we take in the military, that you take in Congress, that the vice president gets sworn in with, and then mm-hmm. the president gets sworn in with. And there's a little difference between the one the president gets signed in with, uh, uh, says, and people can look it up online and just listen to um, you know, what the vice president says and what the president says. It's missing a line in the president. So anyway, I will incorporate that into this, uh, this next novel and I had to go deep and I actually went and gosh, I, I went deep into uh, uh, this constitutional law people and people connected me with so-and-so at the National Archives and they mm-hmm. couldn't answer my question about why this wow. one phrase is missing from what the president says versus the vice president and members of the military and Congress. Interesting. And uh, so I have a, a paper on it now. It was oh, very, wow. yeah, it was really interesting. So um, I'd love to read that. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you. Yeah. I'll give it to you. It was really interesting because it stumped them. Yeah, and, uh, and they, they did the research, so it was pretty cool. But uh, but it seems like that Constitution should be something that we uh, you know that binds us together. It's yeah. our foundation as Americans, regardless of what you think. Um, you know, growing up in, uh, in in the '80s, it was so wonderful because we knew that First Amendment was like the one thing. Mm-hmm. If we're going to argue about all this other stuff, guess what? We don't argue about really is the first amendment. We exactly. stand up for each other as Americans. That's yeah. the one thing we could rally around. Yeah. And now even that has been weaponized and, uh, and taken from us. And I often think back to the end of the civil war. Mm-hmm. And if we had had social media in the 1860s, what we would look like today, because it is so easy. I don't like the word easy, but, uh, you can weaponize it and have such an impact. It's so powerful. Um, especially when you weaponize it and that's what it has become essentially as a yeah. weapon. Um, but if we'd had that at the end of the civil war, where would we be today? Oh gosh. And I don't know. Yeah. Cause it obviously stokes division and who benefits, uh, well, politicians to mm-hmm. galvanize bases and then tech companies. Exactly. And so it's like, we're walking into this L ambush yep. and here we are walking in as businesses or as citizens, because now our businesses depend on some of these things here and we're walking into this thing and here we are tech, Big tech and big government, permanent Washington, I've yep. heard you say. Um, and, and just add in add in the, the for-profit corporate media to yep. that mix. Oh, yeah, exactly. The media industrial complex, yep. the, the military industrial complex, um, the lobbyists, pharmaceutical yeah. in particular, um, especially now. Yeah. Um, and the level of trust that has been degraded, especially since the beginning of COVID. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's at an all-time low, but it's certainly... Yeah. Dang close. And deservedly so. And I don't know how we recover from it. Yeah. Um, I, when people ask me, well, what can I do? Yeah. You know, if I'm just one person or we're like, we're the people up against these massive, massive powers mm-hmm. uh, in our society, the ones that you just talked about specifically, what can I do? And, you know, obviously, and we've seen some of this play out, how, um, you know, we talk with our, our wallet and, you know, some of these companies and, and uh, making decisions that, that are bowing to cancel culture, we see how people immediately are like, all right, I'm canceling that insurance policy. I'm no longer shopping there, mm-hmm. making sure that our voices are heard in that way. But that, that's the, the other commodity that, um, you know, these big tech companies, media and everybody else feeds off of is our attention mm-hmm. and our time. And us as individuals being a lot more thoughtful and knowing that that is their valued commodity that mm. they want from every one of us. And let's treat that with the importance that they are because mm. they're making a lot of money off of it. Yes, and are. so how we're choosing to use our time on social media, what we're putting out there, um, how we're, you know, what media sources we're choosing to spend time with, because, 
you know, the more you're on one, the ads that pop up, they make mm. money. I mean, it's just, it is, it is valuing our time and valuing our attention and being really thoughtful about oh, yeah. what impact we're making with that, I think is yeah. the, the very practical everyday choices that we can make. And I love how you started your podcast. So Tulsi Gabbard show is out there. Everybody should go listen to it. And your first one, which I think is just a half hour. Yeah. Um, the other ones are, are longer that are up there now, but the first one, you just lay it all out. Yeah. It is awesome. Like every American needs to listen to that. Stop <laughs> what you're you. doing. Well, let's finish this podcast and then there go, go. <laughs> and to Tulsi's and listen to that first one for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll subscribe and do listen to the other ones. But that 30 minutes that you spend just laying it all out. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. And how could I, I don't, I mean, I'm listening to it and I'm like, how could any American, uh, not think that this is thoughtful and logical, right. uh, gives, and I focuses on freedom and on history and on this time. That's our most valuable commodity. And, uh, it, but anyway, it, it was a, a fantastic job. I appreciate that. And, uh, and, um, and you came out strong on the second amendment. Yes. That was awesome. Yes. I loved it. And th you talked about the, uh, the gun store you went to in Hawaii. Yeah. Cause a lot of people I think, think Hawaii is like, you can't even, it is very restrictive. Yeah. Um, it takes, it takes a while to go through the process from point of purchase to mm. being able to actually take your firearm home. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was, that was the environment that I grew up in. So didn't have the kinds of exposure to firearms that, um, that you may have had growing up or that others have had, you know, my dad took me to the range a couple of times mm. and shot a pistol and, uh, and then, you know, the first time I had a rifle in my hands was when I went to basic training uh, at Fort oh. Jackson, South Carolina. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was like for you, but for us going through, you know, you get a little bit of time, but mm. only enough time to learn how to zero your rifle and then qualify. And as soon as you qualified, like that's it, there's no You're more time exactly yeah. in the training calendar to, to actually get really familiar and comfortable. Right. And so, you know, I think, I think like a lot of people in this country who didn't grow up, um, with firearms being a part of life and culture yeah. and family and, you know, everything else, when we see these kinds of really tragic mass shootings or we see the kinds of um, horrific acts of violence that involve firearms in our society, I think the natural compassionate response is, well, how do we prevent these things from happening? And, and so I think I, like a lot of people, thought, okay, well, if there are some, you know, the word that's used is, well, if, if there's some common sense restrictions we can do that can kind of try to prevent or minimize these types of things from happening, then why not? Like, why wouldn't we do that? And not understanding, you know, fully the slippery slope argument mm. or, um, you know, very directly the, uh, you know, why our founders carefully chose the words that they used for the Second Amendment, yeah. um, specifically as a check on a tyrannical government it is our ultimate veto over tyranny. Exactly. That's why they want to take it away. So exactly such effort. And so for me, I mean, I, I have, uh, I have gone through a learning process in better understanding the second amendment, mm -hmm. especially over these last few years, both here in the United States, as well as in places like Canada, obviously with what Trudeau is doing there, mm -hmm. banning the purchase of pistols and the things that, that I have always thought like that'll never happen. That'll never happen here. All these things. Well, that'll never happen here. The government will never come and try to take your guns. I had a conversation with uh, Congressman Steve Scalise recently, uh, which will be on my next podcast nice. release, specifically focused around the Second Amendment. He was a state representative, I think, in Louisiana when Hurricane Katrina hit. Yeah. 
And when they were law enforcement was literally going house to house, yeah. give me your guns. Yep. No warrant, no cause, no identification of anything. Yep. Give me your guns, give me your guns, give me your guns. And he led the fight at the state level to um, to push back on that to, you know, I don't know if they actually got people their guns back, but basically to say this is unconstitutional. Um, so, so seeing the increasing authoritarian direction of, of our own government helped me really realize in, in a, in a very present and urgent way, what our founders intended with that, uh, combined with, I, I just, it was a pivotal moment that I remember I was sitting in my backyard in Hawaii, listening to a podcast that was going through the New York, um, the Supreme court decision about the New York concealed carry law mm -hmm. that just happened. And one of the statements that were in that ruling, that was in that ruling, I wish I had it in front of me. It was just, it was a very tight, powerful, succinct way of mm -hmm. saying, you and I don't need to go and get a permit to stand on a street corner and exercise our First Amendment rights. Yep. Our government also does not have the right to limit Second Amendment, our Second Amendment rights, in the same way it does not have the right to limit our First Amendment rights. And it was just, a, it crystallized kind of a lot for me. And, um, it, I mean, it changed, it changed my view and, yeah. and really brought home what shall not be infringed actually means. Nice. I love it. You've, uh, and got so let me just say, let me add on to this because, yeah. you know, I've gotten a lot of commentary from people over the years, um, from a lot of, uh, second, uh, act, avid second amendment right advocates. And, um, I think it's important whether it's on this issue or other issues, um, to a, I think we hope that we all learn and grow mm -hmm. as people. It's life, yeah. And um, to allow people space yeah. for that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Otherwise, why even, why talk about anything? You know? yeah. If you want to be a Second Amendment advocate, well, like, go and actually talk to people. Listen to people. Mm -hmm. Listen to where they're coming from. Don't just criticize and call people names. Um, this is something we see a lot, like, for example, with climate change. On, on the Democrat side, like if you if you don't believe full, you know, hook, line, and mm -hmm. sinker in climate change and that it's the most existential threat we face, then you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're this and that. Well, we see a lot of it on the other side as well. How do you hope to better understand where people are coming from so mm -hmm. that you can share your experiences in the hope that there is some growth on both sides if all you do is belittle people? Yeah. And uh, I, think, I think it's just in general a good rule to have for all of us is um, the better we understand each other, the better we can come together the more we can move forward together. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you're just yelling at me, regardless of what you're saying. Even yeah. if I agree with you 100%, yeah. I'm turning you off. Yeah. Um, you know, I only have a certain amount of time on this planet. We don't know how long exactly. uh, I get to choose how I'm going to spend it. I'm probably not going to let you yell at me yeah. for more than a second. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and everything you say is going to come with kind of a really negative con. Like, I'm not, I, don't, I don't really care to hear you right now. <laughs> exactly. And it's empowered so many people because they're not afraid of, there's no consequences, there's yeah. no accountability. And you yeah. see it across society. Um, what do we see from in Afghanistan? Uh, zero accountability exactly. for those seniors. Not even just have Afghanistan, Afghanistan and Iraq over the last 20 years. Uh, really interesting. The book, uh, the Afghanistan papers by yeah. Craig Whitlock, Washington post, Washington post. I think they did two lawsuits, freedom of information act lawsuits to get these, uh, conversations that were recorded histories that the people sitting down for those histories thought was going to be classified. Mm -hmm. Um, so it got declassified and guess what? Those same people that are sitting in front of Congress yeah. have been proven now 
that they're, well, they're lying to somebody yep. because 180 out, what they're saying to Congress and what they're saying privately in these conversations and yeah. these histories of Iraq and Afghanistan, they are 180 out. Yeah. And you can take these guys, substitute any general, any year, they sit down in front of Congress and what do they say? We just need more time. We need more funding. We are making progress. Mm -hmm. uh, like the one guy who didn't say that, that didn't toe the line 100%, and I think about 2000, 11 timeframe, um, he was quietly... Let go. Relieved. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And everybody, what does that tell everyone else? Yeah. Get in line. Yeah. It yeah. is if you hope zero to have a career. accountability yeah. um, this across day. the board. It continues today. Yep. And it wasn't always like that. Yeah. Um, George Marshall, World War II, in the lead up and during, he'd give you a chance. But if you didn't measure up, gone. Yeah. And you're on to the next person. We're going to find someone who can do this job. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting when you go back and look at his, he had seven attributes. Uh, I think he called them attributes of battlefield leadership. Um, and one of those things was having common sense. Yeah. And same thing um, with on war, Carl von Klauschwitz, same thing. Yeah. Common sense. We are lacking common sense, zero accountability across the board. Yeah. And that goes back to the individual sitting there on social media who can say whatever they want because there is no consequences. There's no investment yeah. at the same thing. You're not investing in anything by tearing someone down. Even when, when you hosted Tucker and I came on Tucker, yeah. which was so awesome. That was so much fun. Thank but you people, for doing that of again, course. by the way, Mike, I, I don't know. People probably don't know like what you went through for that. <laughs> first of all, just thank you for saying yes immediately. That was the first time I've ever hosted a live show before ever in my life. Yeah. And uh, on the issue of Afghanistan, it was about the, the anniversary of the withdrawal, and I couldn't think of anyone oh. I would rather have talked oh, to you. For, for so many reasons than you. You were out on an island yeah. somewhere, <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, literally like commandeered a boat, yep. Navy SEAL, <laughs> yes, got to a vehicle, lost reception, gave, yep. like, had to get a van, like parked just so. Uh -huh. It was crazy. So eventually <laughs> oh, I make man. it to the side of the highway where we had reception, and we get out of this van, and it has, like the sides of it are all like noise dampening, Right. so it's a little creepy. Yeah. It's a little silence of the lambs. <laughs> and so you get in the back of this thing, and because yep. it's all noise dampening it's like kind of cramped yeah and it's like a sprinter van type thing and you sit down and then i don't know if people realize this also a lot of the time when you're doing a prime time show mm -hmm. um it's not like a zoom call and we're no. all used to zoom calls yeah. where you see the person you see their body language right. and and uh the the you know you can see the, are they nodding or whatever but you're just looking into this black box mm -hmm. essentially and all because by it was so it, all yeah. quiet <laughs> and it was so quiet even though there was a on the freeway yeah so in my mind when i did that one yeah. i was like we're just gonna get hit by a semi <laughs> you know i'm like i'm thinking as i'm talking to you i'm like does he have his uh, like blinkers on emergency lights on or are we just gonna get boom and uh but you're just oh, talking man. into a black box and yeah. i can't see you yeah and uh like the first time i did tucker uh same thing i expected to see him mm -hmm. because i was so used to zoom calls yeah and then I go down here to Salt Lake to this little place that they that they rent down there, and you're just looking into a black box, yep. and it's so weird. Yeah. So now I know. Now, now yeah. I'm kind of uh, you know, I'm you used to it. Your, you got to bring your imagination into that one a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tucker's so great because I can just picture his face yeah, now, and exactly. uh, and usually with me he's just kind of his nodding. very like discerning yeah. look, uh -huh. like <laughs> yeah. But in my head, I'm not yeah. good at judging the time. Yeah. And so I'm like, have I been talking for a minute? For yeah. a minute and thirty? Because on those you have, yeah. as you know, you have it's like a quick. minute and thirty. 
maybe two, maybe two thirty, and that's long. Yeah. Um, and Tucker will let you talk. He'll let you know. He'll let, let me talk. So uh, I, I kind of can picture his head. But yeah. if it's somebody that you don't know yet, and you're like just looking at this black box, totally. like, is this person nodding? Have I been talking for a minute? Yeah. Uh, thirty, <laughs> yeah. thirty seconds. Like ah. Yeah. So but you're so good at it. Oh, you are gosh, so no. good I'm at that. Like there's time. nobody really as good as you are as doing those things. I mean, so clear. Um, you're not stumbling around oh. like. And now I know that you're a lot of times looking into a black box oh, yeah. and it's weird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I really like the first, I've, I've just like, I, none of that comes naturally to me. Like I said, I'm an mm-hmm. introvert. And so I was the kid and we have these old home videos of my dad who are out on camping trips and my dad has a little camcorder video, nice. you know, of the family. There's five kids in my family, three older brothers and younger sister. Every one of them, every one of them is like a book definition extrovert. I am the book definition introvert, totally like totally crippling shy as a kid Mm -hmm. growing up, even coming into adulthood. Yeah. Very, very shy. My dad would come. He's like, Tulsi, what are you doing? And I would literally like murmur some unintelligible thing and then run away from the camera, even though it's just my dad. Yeah. And so it's taken a long time and I'm still growing and still trying to learn. But one of the things that someone told me when I was looking into a camera, feeling very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and awkward, was, uh, uh, and this was just a recording, it wasn't live TV or anything, but they just said, Tulsi, imagine as you're looking into this camera, the face of, this is, I think it was when I was running for Congress, the face of, you know, um, the retired grandmother sitting uh, at home, babysitting her grandkids and worried about, you know, how is she going to afford the rent this month or right. something like that. Just a real person. Right that you would have a real conversation with on any other day. And so forget the, 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 the digital nature of it and the technology and whatever, mm-hmm. and just look into that camera as though you're looking into her eyes. Yeah. And that was a really helpful thing for me to kind of get away from how um, impersonal it can yeah. be and just remember like, okay, I hear a voice, but really I'm talking to everybody at home who's looking into my eyes from their living room couch yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. And that helped. That helped me a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna try that next time. Yeah, and uh, you know, once you've done it, then you're so much more forgiving. Yeah, uh, when you see somebody like stumble a little totally. bit because you realize that they're looking into just a black box somewhere yeah. and they can't see that the host is going like nodding or right. going like this or <laughs> trying to break in or or whatever else. Like, yeah, they don't know. They're just sitting there in this room with a stranger in a black box yep. and this thing in their ear, yeah. and they know that whatever they say is going up. Yeah, like you can't. There's no editing. No, there's no going back. Like if we were to go back and be like, oh, you know what I meant to say about the Constitution earlier? Yeah. I think it came off a little bit. <laughs> uh, what I meant to say was this. I'm, I was to make sure there's none of that. Can got, I tell you my funniest <laughs> yes. live, um, I don't know what you, faux pas uh-huh. or whatever. I was having, I don't remember who I was being interviewed by, but I was talking about the, you know, radical Islamist ideology, the mm-hmm. Salafi Wahhabist ideology mm-hmm. that fuels so much of these terrorist organizations. The only problem was when I said, when I was thinking Wahhabi. Did you say Wasabi? I did. That's so easy. It's, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I, I, I went back like immediately and corrected myself. Yeah. But this was years ago. And then recently one of my wonderful detractors on Twitter. Found it. Found the clip. 
and uh, posted it. And I was just like, you know, like I, maybe I was hungry. Like, oh, I don't know. Seriously, you just came from sushi, whatever. <laughs> it's so easy. There's yeah. a few of those that are, are really easy yeah. to mess up. <laughs> and uh, I am so much more forgiving now yeah. that, uh, and I was always forgiving, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but I'm so much more forgiving now when I see somebody stumble that now that I've been in that seat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and same thing with Hollywood, with movies. Like yeah. I've always been, you know, forgiving when they mess something up tactically or the guy, you know, just, you just know he didn't quite have the training mm-hmm. and okay, I'm going to try to just, I'm trying to just ignore that and enjoy the story and, and yeah. all that sort of thing. Well, now I'm even more forgiving because now after being involved in the show uh, and we had the best guys out there, we had friends of mine from the SEAL teams on set every single day yeah. and there's still things that get missed mm-hmm. because there is so much going on. Yeah. There are so many different cuts of different scenes and eventually it goes to an editor who might not have a background, but thinks that this other lighting or this other thing was so much better. Uh, we're going to use that one, but that's the one where the scope covers were on mm-hmm. or, you know, the finger was on the trigger where it really shouldn't have totally. been or whatever. And it's not one we didn't want to use and it yeah. makes it up there. And you know, uh, I can, it's so easy. Yeah. It's uh, the takeaway is that one, I'm so shocked that, anything gets made in Hollywood one, right. uh, but two that anything good gets made. So yeah. now I'm so much more forgiving because there are so many opportunities along the way to mess it up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people will now, of course, cause they can like what, if you watched a movie or a TV show in 1987, Ugh. uh, and you see something that's not right, what are you going to do? Right. Probably nothing. Yeah. Because you're going to go on with your life. Yeah, exactly. Keep being productive. <laughs> Today, people will screenshot oh, it, gosh, put it up, terrible. make an account, yeah. circle it. It's like, uh, <laughs> these guys are idiots, you know, yeah. like, you know, that's a lot of time you just spent not being productive and living life um, because this finger was on the trigger when it shouldn't have been or whatever it, whatever it might be. Um, But, uh, and same thing with, with the books Mm -hmm. Uh, in 1985, 86, 87, whatever. What are you going to do if you, if you want to point out uh, something you don't agree with in a book? Well, okay. I have to look at the binding and look at the inside title page, find the publisher, then go find that address. Then I have to write a letter. Then I have to put a stamp on it. (laughs) Then I have to go mail it. And then it has to get there, go to the mail room, make it past an assistant or two, maybe up to this person's desk. Then they have to read this thing and then respond. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's not happening. But today, <laughs> guess what? You can do it and there's no investment. Yep. So back then, if you really felt strongly, Look at that's me. I'm like using my fingers like I'm using a typewriter <laughs> yep. when it's just, it's <laughs> yeah, literally exactly. just. <laughs> exactly. It's like boom, boom, yep. bam, send. Yeah. Um, so there's no investment yeah. in it. Um, and I think that's a, that's a, a serious problem because yeah. when you invest in something, when you invest in this country by serving in the military or doing something that gives back, um, I think it makes us stronger yeah. as a whole because now you've invested, you haven't just taken mm-hmm. and so many people now can just take, um, and it's not just entitlement programs. Um, you can just live your life and never invest in mm-hmm. this thing called America. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't always the case. Uh, it is especially obviously World War One, World War Two. like you had to, uh, you had to invest even yeah. people that didn't serve. Like you had to take the, the, the rubber tires off your car and donate them to the war effort. Right. If you're on the West coast or the East coast, you had to put blackout curtains in your windows. Um, and you had to shut those things at night. Um, so that you wouldn't get bombed. Right. Or that was a threat anyway. Right. Um, so you were investing in in this the war bonds you're investing in this thing where there were very real consequences to a loss yeah. um, and now we're on this perpetual war footing 
And as, uh, as I've heard you discuss before, we get off of 20 years of war with a disastrous withdrawal that you couldn't have done in a more dangerous way by putting our troops in, 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 in harm's way, if you'd even tried. Yeah. If you'd come to those generals and said, come up with a plan that is the worst plan you can possibly come up with uh, in order to get us out of here, this is the plan that it would have yeah. been. And uh, once again, zero accountability. Um, and a lot of finger pointing. You know, well, it wasn't us. It was the State Department. What are you What are you talking about? You are the Secretary of Defense. You know, you are the Chief of Staff of, you know, the Army. You are the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And to I, I, I did not run for re-election to Congress in 2020 because I felt that, you know, my goal has never been an office or a job. It has been where can I make the most impact. Mm-hmm. Congress was getting so, the House of Representatives was getting so dysfunctional at that time. I felt I had maximized my ability to make an impact and that I could do more elsewhere. Mm-hmm. To, to the, only, the only day that I regretted that and wished that I was back there sitting on, as a member of the Armed Services Committee was when uh, Secretary Austin and those generals were sitting before the committee and recognizing that there were many members of Congress who didn't even know what questions to ask. They were not holding these people's feet to the fire. Congress's job is to exercise oversight over the executive branch, not to pat them on the back and make them feel good. Yes, respect service, respect those who wear the uniform. These guys are in charge. Members of Congress are elected to hold them accountable, to get the tough questions answered on behalf of our, our men and women in uniform on behalf of the American people. And I was, I was watching from home and I was just incredibly frustrated how the answers that, they, that the members of Congress were getting, many of them were non-answers. Many of them were just like, wasn't our fault. None of them were saying, we're sorry, here's where we screwed up and actually holding themselves accountable. Uh, yeah. and, and what a horrible message it sends to our men and women mm-hmm. in uniform that these are the guys that are in charge of us. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, it was, it, anyway. Yeah. Wonder we, why we, we have can, a recruiting problem? Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. And that's why that, why going back to that, that common sense piece, that's why someone who has never read a book on strategy mm-hmm. or tactics, maybe even never watched a war movie, yeah. uh, has no family in the military, yeah. could turn on the TV, look at what was happening, and apply common sense to it and yeah. say, wait a sec, why are we giving up this place called Bagram and putting our troops down at this other airfield? And why are these people, this is crazy. Like yeah. they could apply some common sense to it. Exactly. Uh, like someone that just has common sense and no touch points with yeah. the military at all could have 100% done a Completely. better job than our military did Completely. leaving Afghanistan. And, and the, other, the other thing I think that's dangerous about the direction our military leadership is headed is that, you know, like you mentioned, they're not relieving uh, failed leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, they advance those who are risk averse, who show no courage, and who therefore get to a place in a very high rank without any quote unquote blemishes mm-hmm. on their career. Whereas those who are battlefield commanders, who are in positions where they have to make the toughest decisions between what's the less bad option, um, and therefore because they're making those tough decisions, there are questions asked about why did you make those decisions? Maybe there are some unintended consequences. These are the guys who are getting shoved out. These guys who are battle hardened, who have chosen that hard right over the easy wrong Mm -hmm. um, are punished 
rather than advance and recognize you are exactly the kind of leader. And I've got a few friends in this position now at various ranks in their career and are, are at, we, we in the military and we as a country are at risk of losing these great leaders because they're getting pushed out of the military. Whereas others who have never had to make a tough decision Mm -hmm. where lives depended on that decision, both the lives of our military and the lives of civilians they're being just pushed right along because, oh, well, look at you. You've never done anything wrong wrong in your entire oh, yeah. career. And they are the careerists that are being rewarded, whereas the warriors, our warrior leaders, are the ones who are being, uh, you know, punished and investigated and eventually, ah, you know, well, you just might be too controversial or like war is horrible. It is ugly. It is tough. And those who those who are operating in that environment and exercising leadership, we should place value on that experience. Yeah. There's a reason that we all know the names of the people who led us to victory in world war II. Yes. Um, and they, guess what? They didn't start in those positions. No, they moved there very quickly yeah. because guess what? World war II, it was not 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, and those, those leaders rose to the top and they did. They yeah. rose up and George Marshall people, more people should know about George Marshall in, for something other than the Marshall Plan, yeah, exactly. Um, for the things that he did to really set us up for victory before and during World War II, um, but all those people that we know, all those names you can rattle off right mm-hmm. now, generals and admirals, weren't didn't start in those positions That's for the right. most part. Um, and today they are just they worked their way up, and now we get to this point, and now guess where they're going after they retire? Oh, they're going to sit on a board where maybe they go to a couple meetings a year mm-hmm. and make X number of dollars. It's part of their, it's of a, a continuation of this career path. And there's a yep. reason it's, it, uh, it's referred to as the profession of arms and not the career of arms. Exactly. And uh, most of these senior level leaders have turned into careerists at mm-hmm. some point, even if they didn't start that way. Um, and then they move into these positions. And then how do those companies then show a profit for the coming years as we continue to mm-hmm. grow, just like any company? Yep. Um, you know, you want to show, show profits. You have shareholders. You have all these other things you need to do. Um, well, 20 years of war, that's a lot of profit. Yeah. And now, okay, well, we better find a war quick. So and, they we are. and we did. Hey, <laughs> that's what a Imagine that. Just after they call an end to the war in Afghanistan. Shocking. Yeah. They found a quick way to start to start uh, plussing up those profits again with exactly. this. Exactly. And it's, and it's not just the war effort. There are things that are, uh, especially in this case, uh, new members of NATO. Yeah. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, guess what? Their ammunition, rifles, all that stuff yeah. has to be compatible with the other members of NATO. That's right. And what does that mean for companies? Oh, a new customer. Yeah. And that customer is a military. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And that's a lot of profits. Yeah. So um, for people wondering if that's a conspiracy theory or not, it's and just, just some research. Yeah. It's just practical reality. Yeah. It's um I just I just learned the other day about a new amendment that the chair and ranking member of the Armed Senate Armed Services Committee put into the National Defense Authorization Act that would essentially give the Pentagon wartime authority to be able to sell as many um or send as many weapons as they want to Ukraine without any kind of accountability or questioning like needs versus wants. Mm. Uh, And also to waive the bidding requirement for defense contractors um, in producing these weapon systems and lifting the responsibility to make sure that the taxpayer is getting the the best bang for our book. So basically they can charge Mm. whatever they want as defense contractors to meet this demand of weapons in Ukraine that has nothing to do with need versus want, mm. 
whose interest does this serve? Yeah. Not the American taxpayer, not our national security. As the farther this war escalates, the greater risk we face of nuclear catastrophe that impacts the people of Ukraine, the American people and people of the world, ending the world as we know it. And it, as you mentioned, it also uh, provides a new necessary, so-called necessary audio, uh, clientele yeah. in an expansion of NATO. Again, how does this serve, you know, the the uh, both parents working two full-time jobs just trying to make ends meet and support their kids and deciding like gas is six seven dollars a gallon depending on where you are in the country how do we afford to fill the tank and also buy groceries this week yeah. it's it's you know we talk about this and we've talked about this president eisenhower's warning about this cozy relationship between the military industrial complex and yeah. congress this is happening before our very eyes don't trust those eyes Remember, don't trust those eyes. Exactly. Don't trust what you hear. Yeah. Don't read history. Yeah. Hey, 1984, what history is erased? Yep. Uh, it no longer exists. Um, yep. We're getting pretty close to that. We are. Because, uh, if and they're playing on, on the compassion, the yeah. compassionate hearts of the American people. If you care about the people of Ukraine, we got to go and send them all this stuff. Not telling us that at every step of the way, all going all the way back to March, barely a month after Putin invaded Ukraine, when there were negotiations happening to figure out how do we how do we figure out a way to end this war as quickly as possible between Russian and Ukrainian officials, mm -hmm. it was the Biden administration that squashed that. There were other potential off ramps mm -hmm. that would have brought a negotiated end to this war squashed by the Biden administration. Why is that? Is it because they care about the people of Ukraine? Ultimately, no. They claim that that's what this is all about, but really what it's about is how do we further prolong this I think it was President Biden who said, we got to go get rid of Putin. So there's a regime change goal that's been in I've place. I've heard that somewhere before. For a lot of years. I don't know. I don't know where you might have heard it from. Gosh. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just my, we, we all need to be more clear eyed about this and how we, the people are being played um, yeah. by those in power. And it, it is, we're, we're the ones paying the price. I mean, you have to be a little cynical these days just because there's so many inputs vying for attention. And one of my first questions when I read anything, um, uh, especially corporate media, permanent Washington, whatever, what action do they want me to take? Exactly. And what action or what thought do they want me to have? Mm -hmm. And uh, when we look at that connection to big tech and we talked about advertisements earlier, well, now it's not just those advertisements. It's those actions and behaviors and now thoughts. Yeah. There's so much data. It's so powerful that you can be influenced. So when I see anything now, I'm like, okay, um, what, what action do they want me to take? What thought do they want me right. to have based on what they're saying and why? And, uh, I, I, I would advise people to uh, take a breath and then go into the pages of history yeah. and uh, start reading up. And if yeah. you want to know about Ukraine and Russia and their relationship, um, maybe just don't trust the the one minute talking point that you heard uh, or the person yelling. Maybe just go back and make your own decisions, but go back and invest once again, invest that time in studying the issue, studying that history. And then you can make your, exactly. your at least be informed about exactly. it. Don't just be manipulated. Exactly. You're going to go through, so many people are going to go through life now just being manipulated at every turn. And a lot of them won't even know it. Yeah. You know, and I guess that's, it's either sad or not, depending on how you, you yeah. look at it. Um, but a lot of people are just going to be manipulated from one position to the next, um, one action to the next. And at the end of their life, they'll just have been manipulated the entire 
time because they yeah. didn't take that breath and really study uh, this the issue, whether it's a constitutional issue mm-hmm. or it's uh, it's something you can pull from the pages of history, uh, like the Russia Ukraine situation. Exactly. Um, but that uh, there's a lot of money to be made. That is for sure. And yep. that's, I guess what's what's awful, but. They give me a lot to work with in the novels. Well, I was just going to yeah. say, so this is, I, mm-hmm. I am a huge, huge fan of your books. Oh, you're awesome. Huge fan of your books. Um, obviously, absolutely love the Terminalist series. But uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I, I like, I grew up reading. Like, we weren't really allowed to watch TV as kids because my parents are like, you should be reading books instead Good. of watching Good. TV. And so we did. My sister and I, we were those kids who, like, my parents had to tell us, you're not allowed to bring your book to the dinner table. You're going nice. to sit there like and have it. a conversation. Um, but we read everything. And um, I still love to read, but it gets a little harder when I'm on the road all the time to carry books around. Yep. So I moved to, to a lot of audio books. But last year... Um, Last year I was deployed and I was training up to go to a military school that required a lot of running. All I had access to was a treadmill. I hate treadmills. Uh, They're boring. And I run like a half a mile and I'm just like, my gosh, please just take me now. And so I had to find something really interesting to um, capture my attention and Mm. distract me from the running. I had not read or listened to nonfiction in years. I mean, I'm sorry, fiction. Yeah. Everything I had read was like leadership books or history books or all these other things. I had not touched a fiction book in years. Mm. And so I found your book and started at the beginning and I was absolutely hooked. And just like one after the other after the other, it was phenomenal. And uh, it accomplished the mission of getting me through my running, (laughs) first of all. But what I loved so much about it, other than the obvious, like you're you're a great writer and you, you bring the reader into the experience but how you you both talked about in your um, forwards and mm-hmm. intros a lot of the things that we're talking about now and how much weight it carries given your personal lived experience, but also how you brought that reality in so many ways into, um, into your book, your books collectively, and how that thread continued all the way throughout talking about the constitution, talking about the military industrial complex, talking about corrupt politicians in Washington. And there were so many elements in there at different times that really hit home for me, given my background, my lived experience, both in politics and the military. And uh, I, I was blown away. I was blown away because that's the difference between reading your average thriller novel and reading your series of books is that it is grounded in reality and that there's yes it's fiction but there's so many really important valuable lessons and food for thought for any reader to walk away with and really look at what's happening in our lives now what's happening with those who are in power now how is it affecting us what are the things that we should be keeping an eye out for Thank you. I really appreciate that because uh, it's what I loved about book growing up and I've been a reader my whole life too. But even if it was just one sentence mm-hmm. that made me go, ooh, I need to look into that later. Really, or, truly. ooh, this author knows a lot more about this. And uh, they're just, this sentence was written for me. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are going to skip over this, but uh, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do that with, with mine and I try to weave history in, um, try to, uh, uh, wherever I can, uh, kind of weave in a, a uh, an education in maybe hunting and conservation in mm-hmm. a couple of, of the books. So someone thinks they're grabbing a, a spy thriller from the shelf but also they're learning a little about conservation and they're uh, and that sort of a thing um 
the, the, uh, obviously with our kids in schools, it's been, you know, it's been happening for years. It's just my little way of, of, uh, kind of weaving that into popular culture. Definitely. Uh, and, uh, there's, and people notice it and appreciate it. And that's, that's really cool. And I've always done an author's note at the beginning, but with the devil's hand. So book four, I started doing a, uh, sorry, a preface at the beginning in all of them, but I started doing an author's note because I started getting so many questions from people about, Hey, was this real? Is this yeah. true? Is this not? And so at the end now I write an author's note to let the reader know what was true and, and what mm -hmm. wasn't uh, after they just invested this time essentially with yeah. me. Uh, and I really appreciate when people do that uh, because they're not going to get that time back. And that's why whether it's a social media post, even if it's just one sentence, mm -hmm. that sentence on Instagram gets as much thought as a sentence in the book because I know someone has trusted me with their time and yeah. they're never getting it back. And that's how you started your podcast yeah. too. You're one of your first lines uh, as you start that podcast in that half hour um, first uh, episode that we talked about is you talk about time and yeah. appreciating people's time uh, and that they've chosen to spend that time with you. So you got to add something of value. Exactly. That's, uh, that's what I always go back to. And, and it's not just the book. It is every social media post. Um, I want to add value to people's lives because they have trusted me with that time yeah. and they're never getting it back. So it's something I take very seriously. Um, but at the end of the books now in the author's note, I talk about what was real, what wasn't, right. um, and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it's fun for me to, to do that as well. And then I can point people in that direction. Also, if they're asking me a question as more and more of those questions come in. But in that book in particular, my premise I started with, and it was before COVID that I started writing it, um, was uh, what has the enemy learned by watching us on the field of battle for the last 20 years? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I started with. And I was thinking, of course, tactically, and I'm thinking yep. terrorism, and I'm thinking all these things. They have a 20 years to study us. And when I say enemy, I mean uh, I mean North Korea, Russia, uh, China, Iran, super empowered individuals, terrorist organizations. And uh, But then as I'm writing it, COVID hits. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, I'm in the enemy's shoes right now. What are they learning from our response? And then a summer of civil unrest happens. And I'm like, ooh, what are they learning from this? They're certainly taking lessons. And we are readily providing them with a lot of opportunities to um, incorporate those lessons into their future battle plans. Yeah. And the horrible part of it was that I came to the conclusion that if I was one of our enemies right now, I might not do too much. Mm -hmm. I might just sit back and watch, yeah. maybe stoke it here and there every now and again, which I can do through social media now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't have to go and bribe or blackmail a reporter at the New York Times. Um, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing this for me and I can just stoke things here and there, this division. And that's the toughest part is that, that we're so divided or we seem divided because of these different channels, especially on, on social media that exacerbate all these problems. But once again, who benefits from this? Exactly. Who benefits from me not sitting down with someone that I disagree with politically and us just hating each other immediately? Yeah. Um, guess what? Not the citizenry. Nope. Uh, nope. So and, that, and that's really where it is when you look at a lot of the stuff that um, people in power, the permanent Washington, um, you know, the distraction tactics that they mm -hmm. use, that the more divided we are, the weaker we are yeah. as people and the stronger they are. And that, and frankly, just how afraid they are of a free people and a free society and people who think for themselves and speak their minds. Yeah. That's ultimately what it comes down oh, to. Yeah. And that, you know, we can seem small and insignificant when we look at, you know, their money and their position and everything else. But ultimately, and this is this is why it's so important for us to not just throw in the towel and just say, man, mm -hmm. we're too far gone. There's no coming back, is that that power ultimately is a facade when in the face of the power and strength of the people. 
which in our country and in our system, ultimately, when we exercise that power, even in the face of big money, big power, big tech, everything else, if we choose to stand up and exercise that power, um, that is the only, that is the only way that we save our country. Mm -hmm. That's the only way. And so there's a lot of people who are disillusioned and think, man, I'm not even going to go to cast my vote on election day. Cause why, why, yeah. What does it even matter? I have friends who I serve with the military who fall into that category. They're just like, I know I got my, I got my uh, cabin in the woods. <laughs> I got my dog. I got my family. I got my guns. Mm, I got my, yeah. my night vision goggles. Yeah. If the check, world goes, check, exactly. Check. <laughs> if the world goes to shit, like I'm good. Right. My family's good. Yeah. Uh, like they, and, and it's a lot of it's understandable. Like they've lost faith and trust, as you said earlier, faith and trust in these systems. Yeah. But, um, I refuse, I refuse to accept failure when we look at the grand, unique and powerful vision that our founders had for our country. Mm -hmm. And that vision is still within grasp. It's tough. We got to fight a lot of battles and against a lot of powerful forces, but we have to recognize the power that we have in our hands as, as people in this country, as the American people. And that's, that's what we've got to do. Yeah, when I was uh, in the military before, let's say two, it was 2000, I think, um, I, I self-appointed myself the uh, before, before I was an officer, the the voting petty officer. Great. And, uh, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was like, hey, you know, the way I think of it is, especially to all of our friends who are living in the cabins with mm-hmm. their night vision and their dog and their weapons, um, is that I think of that vote as... Um, I mean, attributes the wrong word, but um, it, it's respect for those who came before yeah. who sacrificed everything so that I could walk in there exactly. and do that. So um, even if so, even if you think oh, this doesn't matter, or we've lost it. I'm just going to stay up here in the mountains. Yeah. Um, well, it's out of respect for those people that uh, that died, that came home different, that came home missing arms and limbs. Um, and even those that, uh, that sacrificed everything from the inception of this country up until today didn't have to be militarily, mm-hmm. um, for their, their, their sacred honor, their fortunes. Yes. Um, and they sacrificed all that for us yeah. so that I could go in here and cast this vote. That's right. So that's kind of how I, I look at it and frame it, uh, yeah. especially for, for people that are like, eh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, what matters to those, you know, as out of respect for those, for those people who came yeah. before. Um, so I look at it kind of in, in those terms, but, um, uh, I, I didn't look at any, I, know, like, I didn't sorry. look at this at all. So I made all these notes, but I, I did this pretty quick, but one of them does kind of play into what we were just talking about right here. Um, there were so many things I wanted to, to ask you about, but uh, I didn't get to any of them. Um, but uh, these things right here, I was just scratched these out real quick this morning before we went down and, yeah. and, and linked up. But like, what would you try to do if you were trying to destroy this country? What would you do? Like we're just trying to destroy it from the inside. And I was like, okay, yeah. um, maybe you have a, a, a leader who's obviously not up to the job. Okay, check. Uh, undermine efforts to close the border or prosecute those who come in illegally. Yeah, check. Mm-hmm. Discredit law enforcement. Check. Mm-hmm. Uh, weaponize the justice system. Check. Politicize the military. Check. Uh, <laughs> take steps to become dependent on our enemies for our defense with fuel, energy, exactly. uh, tech, chips, uh, pharmaceutical precursors. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, check, check, check. Devalue the dollar, mm-hmm. overspending by Congress, yep. of course, which helps fuel inflation, check. Censor free speech, check. Uh, take our guns, which are our ultimate veto over tyranny, check. So I just scribbled those out real yeah. quick, and I was like, oh, man, yeah. that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Um, and it, and in, But I love how you remain hopeful still. Like, even running through, through all those things, like when I was writing those down this morning, I was like, oh, man. 
Jeez. Yeah. But I have to believe that there are people uh, that are much more numerous than Twitter would indicate that are that are out there that yeah. still believe in a future for their children and grandchildren for future generations that still want to pass these freedoms along yeah. that still want a uh, a strong country that's a beacon of freedom and yeah. opportunity throughout the world, and uh, but they don't have a Twitter account. You know, you know I at at these moments where you know it's easy to fall into hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, where the attacks are coming in from all directions uh, and not just from, you know, people who are sitting on their couch on Twitter, but people who have power, who have Mm -hmm. positions of power is um, when we look back at some of the great leaders that we we respect from the past, um, people like Dr. Martin Luther King, for example, investigated by the FBI, surveilled, targeted Mm. by people in positions of power, targeted by the White House for what he was doing and fighting for, you know, racial equality, um, fighting for peace. Uh, And yet he continued on that mission. And uh, I think there there are other examples and we look to people who we look up to as we, and, Mm. and draw inspiration from in the past and just remind ourselves again uh, they faced great adversity, in yeah. some cases, greater adversity than yeah. we face now, greater discomfort, greater physical harm. Yeah. Um, so freaking get up yeah. and get after it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I <laughs> Pretty love much. It. That's, yeah. that's the takeaway. And, and that um, when we've seen major positive change yeah. in our country's history, generally it has come from everyday it hasn't come really from one iconic person or government usually it's come from everyday people stepping up and becoming leaders because our times uh demanded it and so you know you know as the saying goes no one's coming to save us we got to step up and save save our country ourselves and so that's that's where uh in those moments i look back and just like you know what um Failure is not an option. Failure is. is not an option. There is nowhere we can there's go. It. There's, there's nowhere else. There's nowhere else. <laughs> to create a new America. <laughs> Seriously, there's nowhere else to go. we got to stay yep. in the fight. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, but it's interesting. I don't mean to be a downer. But and when you look back, we see a lot of that change in the past was to give us freedoms. True. Was to interpret these uh, Bill of Rights like women's right to vote. Mm-hmm. It was to give us, not to take those freedoms yes. away. And now we're taking these freedoms away. Like there's, I think there has been a fundamental shift and um, you can't point to it exactly. I'm exploring it in this next novel, actually. Good. Once again, uh, the landscape has given me a lot to work with. Your last one was days. really scary with like the big Intel oh, cyber. Yeah. I was, I was like, that, I, I got on the computer. I was like, how? What's <laughs> that? Was <laughs> Dude, crazy. are these systems in place? And yeah, that, that was, was crazy. Yep. I would be. It was the definitely AI scarier. And yeah, else. it was yeah. scarier than the biological weapons uh, research that I did for the previous novel because yeah. I had no touch point with that stuff in the military other yeah. than what y'all have to do, like put on that that bio weapons suit thing in a certain amount of time. Or yeah. or whatever. Um, like that was my only touch point with mm-hmm. it. So I had to really go deep down the rabbit hole in the devil's hand to research bioweapons and uh, bioweapons defense mm-hmm. research, uh, which is a clever way to get around bioweapon convention treaties that were signed in the 70s um, that no one really uh, adheres to from my research. Once again, I have no actual touch point with these mm-hmm. things. Um, which but, on that point, by the way, I just found out the Biden administration is trying to put something like 
multi-billions. I don't remember if it was 15 or $50 billion towards that oh, wow. bio, bio defense. Bio defense. What does that even mean? Oh yeah. Well, guess what it means is that you have to create the weapon first mm-hmm. to figure out how to defend against it. Exactly. So that's how they get around yep. this sort of thing. Um, but you know, every, and we signed, it was interesting. We signed the bioweapon convention treaty the same day as Iran. Mm. I put that's one of the last wow. lines in that author's authors know back in the, in the seventies. Um, but even after I did all that, that research, then the artificial intelligence research that I did for the last novel was even scarier. And I would be shocked if what I describe in the novel isn't almost exactly as I describe it. And once again, I've never been there. I've Mm -hmm. never done a real touch point with it. Um, uh, But I'd be shocked if it wasn't almost exactly as I describe it. That's why it was scary is because it's actually like within the realm of believable and possible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I think we do hold the edge on AI right now, but once again, who are we going to tarp? Who are we going to? What are we going to use that AI for? Exactly. Is that going to be just to stay ahead of uh, our China, or are we targeting U.S. citizens now with that for control purposes or whatever it might be? And you introduced. I know we have a couple minutes, but I, yeah. gosh, you introduced legislation to uh, when you were in Congress to what repeal Patriot Act, Espionage yeah. Act, yeah. Fi- secret FISA courts, yeah. those sorts of things. So I explore yeah. that, some of that, some of the some of the background to how like where did FISA come from? Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it until I started writing this novel, and then I went back and, and did some research, and now it weaves into the storyline. Um, but uh, what wait. was that like? To, I mean, and then, of course. Well, you know, I mean, the, the natural response from uh, people who are not very thoughtful in Congress is, well, you're a traitor and you are inviting another 9-11 style attack on our country. And this is what's so dangerous is that back when the Patriot Act was first passed, it was passed very quickly in the wake of the attacks on 9-11. Yeah. And, okay, you can kind of understand the sentiment and the emotion uh, and, and why um, it was put forward. Uh, but the fact that neither on on the floor of the House of Congress or the U.S. Senate nor in the mainstream media was there any really rigorous debate about civil liberties and mm-hmm. about how you balance the need for security and keeping the American people safe while also protecting our civil liberties and freedoms. Yeah. That, that debate just really didn't occur in a meaningful way. There was one senator that voted against Patriot Act, happened to be a Democrat named Russ Feingold, there were a few members of the House, obviously Ron Paul was one of them, who voted mm-hmm. uh, against the Patriot Act, just seeing, hey, this does not lead to a good place. And then every every time it came up again for reauthorization, because when they passed it, I think it was a five-year sunset, mm-hmm. uh, where automatically, if, if no action was taken, all of these measure, measures would automatically mm-hmm. go away in in the fifth year. Right. Um but every it's been what over twenty years now, and every time that reauthorization comes up, uh, those of us who are raising these issues about how there are direct unconstitutional violations of our civil liberties uh, that this legislation authorizes immediately slant like no room for debate, no room for debate. Mm-hmm. It's you're a traitor and you want Al Qaeda to come and kill more Americans. Mm-hmm. It's 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 disgraceful because it's not like. I took personal offense to it. It's disgraceful because of the message it sends to the American people and that culture of fear mm-hmm. that creates so that people see like, oh, wow, Tulsi Gabbard gave, you know, stood up on the House floor and talked about how this is wrong and how, you know, I mean, the, the famous Ben Franklin quote about yep. liberty and security yeah. uh, and, you know, the James Madison quote, you know, the, the most dreaded threat to our liberty is when we are at war. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are all of these these 
gems that our, our founders put forward saying, yeah. hey, guys, be careful. Be very careful. And we have seen all of that care and, um, uh, you know, yeah, all of that care really being swept aside by people who will not allow for a conversation. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's how if you we ask the question, on. you get shut down, uh, called names, vilified, mm-hmm. uh, everyone's, uh, a racist and yeah. all, all the rest of it. And you just get attacked mm-hmm. by what seems to be an overwhelming mob, um, just because of the connections between big tech and corporate media and probably yeah. Washington and, and all the rest. But there's, and I'm sure you, you, in your research, you looked at it. I mean, there are so many statistics about these secret FISA courts, for example, of abuse yeah. of power and That's how dangerous happens. it is. Like all I tried to do in one of my bills I introduced was just say, Hey, there needs to be a civil liberties advocate in that secret court. Yeah. So it's not just the judge and the government, whatever right. government entity that is. Cause that's what it was. It's like, Hey, here's the case. Here's who we want to surveil. Here's why rubber stamp from the judge yeah. move along. No civil liberties advocate. There's supposedly a panel of five people who are supposed to have oversight over that. But half the panel was never either like was unseated, which made right. it non-existent because they couldn't function without a full five person panel. Yeah. So all I did was, hey, let's have a civil liberties advocate in that courtroom mm-hmm. to say, no, this is a violation of the Constitution. Even that couldn't get passed. Like that's yeah. a basic thing as you would have in the court. You got the prosecutor and you got the defense, right? Not acceptable. It's, I mean, and you can understand going back like, okay, September 12th, yeah. 2001, like you can understand the intent yes. of that. Um, but, and there are very few people who raised, I remember a couple, but very few people um, raised questions about it. Understandably. Mm-hmm. I mean, your buildings are, you know, oh, the cities yeah, in I get ruin. It. Um, but, uh, but to see now, hopefully we can take these lessons and apply them going forward as a wisdom. Yeah. We neglect to do that at almost every level in our country for whatever reason. I think it's because of election cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if we can go back and look at that and then in the future realize that when we give these freedoms up or if we do something that in the moment seems prudent, uh, guess what? That's eventually going to be turned against the pot. We're giving, we're giving essentially our employees power over us as the employers. Exactly. And, That's a uh, great way to put it. And uh, so, and when you go take it back to the Second Amendment, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. We are giving up our protection, the ability to protect this gift of life. Mm-hmm. This this thing that it, it's incredible, and so it has value, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's natural for me to want to protect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need a piece of paper. If you were just to be dropped here or have your memory erased and just all of a sudden you're standing somewhere and you get attacked, uh, guess what? You're probably going to defend this gift of life. Yeah. Um, and then you have responsibilities as, in your family and um, those you defend your loved ones and defend their gift of life and teach them to be good citizens and, and all the rest of it. But um, when you see politicians who are surrounded by weapons that you're paying for and 24 hour security that you're paying for yet they want to take that ability away from you and just i guess tell you to call 911 and really for the police that they defunded exactly <laughs> exactly where maybe there's someone there yeah. uh and who's probably going to arrive after the fact exactly to just take a report exactly if you're alive yeah. um so these things i mean that's why it is so hard to believe well, we have to go gosh yep. we have to go um that uh we have been so brainwashed as a country to think that it is okay to give up protection of that gift of life to an entity that can't get your mail to you on time or can't find your address like 
it is it is inconscionable that people still stand up there and want to take that right away from us and take active measures to do that while they're surrounded by people with the very weapons that they're trying to take from you. Oh, we I'll have to close, go. Gosh, we got to go. Note. I didn't I'll even get to any of this, Tulsi. Look at this. I had all this that stuff written down. we got to do this again. Let's do it. Let's do it. All <laughs> this stuff. Look at this. Defense industry stuff. I wanted to ask you for next time. I wanted to ask you what it's like to go to Chernobyl. Yes. I have another friends that have been oh, there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I had all sorts of stuff here. <laughs> Dang it. We How many again. billionaires own uh, the news organizations in this country? Very few. Yep. But uh, we'll wait for next time to talk about The value just of your books, the questions that they raise how they inform even in an indirect, like really entertaining way, um, the value of your show, the value of podcasts, the value of new media, the the historical content that you put out on social media. I mean, all of these things help us all be more informed as citizens so that when our lawmakers get up and say, well, hey, we got to take this freedom away from you for your own good, or we have to pass this law that gives us more power and makes you weaker for your own good, it gives us the ammunition and the the um, the information that we need to be armed with to stand up against that and to defend those freedoms. So Aww. thank you for having me on your show. Oh, thank you so much for it's standing strong. Thank you. you for your friendship. And you. uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what's, uh, what's ahead for you and the Tulsi Gabbard Show. Everybody check it out. Start with the first yes. one because there's three right now. By the time this airs next week, there'll be a fourth one yes. out there. Um, and uh, for sure, listen to that first half hour one and share it with people. Please do. Share it with your kids, junior high, high school, college. It'll, Perfect. it'll be a conversation starter. It's, uh, yeah, I know. It's fantastic. Thank you for all you do. Thank and you. Uh, we'll do this again soon. I look forward to it. All right. Take care. Aloha. November 11th is Veterans Day, but at Navy Federal Credit Union, Every day is Veterans Day. I've been a member since 1996, right after boot camp and right before I went to BUDS or SEAL training. Navy Federal Credit Union is for active duty veteran DOD employees and their families. They offer resources like the VA Loans Hub and Best Cities After Service. They offer veteran employment assistance partnerships with nonprofits like The Mission Continues. They're a top VA home loan lender. They offer personal finance counseling. They offer 24-7 member service and are a growing community of over 1.8 million veterans just like you. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash veterans. Insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. Today's gear segment is sponsored by Zero. Foxtrot. Zero Foxtrot provides unique products that reflect the old school vintage military lifestyle. I've actually been following these guys for a while. Love what they're doing. Have a bunch of other shirts and coffee mugs downstairs from uh, uh, from the last few years. Just love it when guys get out and absolutely crush it. Zero Foxtrot is veteran founded and is a proud supporter of our nation's defenders, veterans, and first responders. Actually wearing this shirt. Look at that. Canoe Club USA. What does that mean? I think you're going to have to look it up in your web browser, the Google machine. Canoe Club USA, awesome shirts out there. They have limited edition ones that drop every now and again that are super cool. So definitely go to zerofoxtrot.com. And right now, we have an exclusive code for listeners of Danger Close. Use code JC at checkout for 20% off your order. Very cool. Remember, you can gear up with Zero Foxtrot and use code JC at checkout for 20% off your order. Just go to zerofoxtrot.com slash JC and remember to use 
code JC for 20% off at checkout or just click the link in the description. Once again, that offer code is JC. Gear up with zero Foxtrot and use code JC for 20% off. Awesome. Definitely do that and check out all they have going on. Follow them on the social channels. They have some great things out there. They do some history posts every now and again that are really cool and very well thought out. Definitely check out zerofoxtrot.com for all the stuff. They have Zippo lighters in there. They have these mugs right here. What does that say? Drink coffee, stack bodies. Stay zero. Love this. And then this one right here, this is cool. This might be a limited edition one, I'm not sure. Um, but for St. Patrick's Day, lack fear, not beer. Look at that. Boom. Love it. Awesome. So that's what they look like right there. Zero Foxtrot. And you get a little of that action right there. That's a sticker. But uh, check out their t-shirts, mugs right here. Whiskey glasses. These are some of my favorites right there. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Solid. So check them out for sure. Zerofoxtrot.com slash JC for 20% off. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. I drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of The Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, I'm going to go through some everyday carry items right now because every now and again, I'll do an everyday carry video or post an everyday carry picture on Instagram at Jack Carr USA. And those do switch up depending on what blades I'm carrying or trying out or what new holster or pistol I'm trying out, what watch I'm wearing, uh, all that sort of thing. So I'll run through what I have on today. And I want to do this because I got a very angry email from somebody. And I don't see every email anymore, but, uh, but I was just clicking through the other day and I saw it. So I, I clicked on it, probably a mistake, but, uh, I read it, skimmed it. And this person was very, very angry because the belt that I had put in my everyday carry, which I have put in, I think every single one, cause I've been wearing the exact same belt since 2016 and not just the same model, but the exact same belt. Um, and he was upset because his appendix carry holster wouldn't fit over the front of the belt. And yeah, that's true because it's not designed to do that. So if, if anything that I put out there uh, and talk about as far as gear goes that you're inclined to, to check out and buy, do a little more research, uh, find out if it's going to work with your particular setup because this belt right here, I carry at the four or five o'clock position back here and I don't carry appendix because the belt has 16 quarters in the front so that it can turn into a weapon if need be in a place where you can't carry a knife or a firearm. So that means that the clips on an appendix uh, holster won't go over the top of that. You need a special holster like this one from Dynamis. So right here, this is designed not to go over the Dynamis belt, but behind it. Uh, and these clips are serious. So I wore this for about a month, uh, maybe four or five months ago. And uh, this thing is not going anywhere. But these clips are designed to go under the belt, not over the belt. So uh, 
check out those things. Check out videos online about the, the belt, the holster. Look at reviews because this is definitely not a review video. This is just stuff that, that I use. Um, and that's just how it's, how it's intended, just sharing with you what I carry. So uh, let's go with this pistol. So pistol right here, boom. This right here is the SIG P365X Macro. Oh yeah, love this thing, 17 plus one. This thing is serious, I absolutely love it. So that is what I've been carrying for the past uh, maybe month now. And the holster that goes with it, once again, not appendix over the front of the Dynamis belt because there's the quarters up there. Uh, that's a disclaimer, I guess. But I love these Black Point Tactical holsters because they say what it's for. And if you're a gun person, you probably have many drawers full of belts and holsters. And I love digging through those drawers when I can be like, okay, this one is for this pistol because it says it is. So right there, six hour, three, six, five, X macro, it tells me. So that is the holster that I use with this belt. And here's the belt. And here's why it wasn't working for that person who wrote the very mean email, but because uh, there's right here, yeah, 16 quarters. I don't know if you can see that right there, but yeah, that's going to hurt a little bit. There's some videos out there from uh, uh, Dynamis Alliance, CrushEverything.com. You can check those out. Put a little cash in there too, and perhaps a handcuff key right there if you are so inclined. But that is the belt. Once again, this exact belt is the one I've been wearing since 2016. And uh, I love this thing, but that doesn't mean it's the right belt for you. So I also have drawers full of belts that I have tried out over the years. So that is that. What else do I have on me here? Um, well, extra mag right there. And what else? Land Cruiser keys. Nice. And this right here, I've been carrying this tourniquet since they sent it to me uh, like three weeks ago. So this is their everyday carry tourniquet from Snake Staff Systems. And gosh, what's great about this is that it's like your subcompact pistol. Very easy to carry. I carry it every day in my pocket now. Absolutely love this thing. Um, I pulled it out, tried it on each arm, one-handed, each leg, one-handed. It works. But uh, I love what they say on their video, which is to think of it as your subcompact pistol. So I still have uh, my cat tourniquets, which are in my backpack, uh, all over the house, in all the vehicles. Um, but for me, and I know a lot of people carry do carry those every day, and that's fantastic. Uh, but for me, once again, I've been carrying this thing every day since I got it, and I absolutely love it because I do carry it. And I'm gonna get a ton more of these and give them to family and friends, so uh, this thing is awesome. So check them out once again, Snake Staff Systems. What else is on me right here? A little light. And so my deal with the light is that for sure, I don't always carry the light, but uh, if I have a pistol that has a light on it, this one doesn't, but if I do, then I for sure carry an extra light so that I'm not tempted to cover something with my pistol to light it up that doesn't need to be covered by that muzzle. So um, uh, I'll grab it if I'm going out the door. Sometimes things are crazy with kids, dogs barking, insanity, and I don't always carry it. But if I have a pistol that has a light on it, weapons mounted light, then I always carry this. That's just the rule for me. Once again, it doesn't have to be for you. And this is from Streamlight right here. And yeah, I bought a bunch of these and just have them scattered about because they're fairly inexpensive. So if you lose it, you're not going to really, um, you know, you're not going to break the bank uh, with these guys. Okay. What else? And little blade right here. So this one is the folder that I carry and I carry this one uh, 
for opening boxes, cutting rope, whatever else, because uh, the other one that I carry right here is just for fighting. And I know that this one is sharp. This one, a couple days ago, I might have opened 100 boxes with it and uh, maybe it needs some sharpening, but you know what? It's not the end of the world if my life depends on it because I have the sharp one right here. And once again, that's just what I do. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, and so the one that I carry for fighting right here, bam, right there. So that's Dynamis Blade. Yep, love this thing. It feels so good in my hand. And yeah, right there, crusheverything.com. Dynamis, awesome right there. Made by Winkler Knives. What else? Uh, phone, yep. And wallet. Cross Tomahawk's wallet, yep. That is available, officialjackcar.com. On the shop button, what else do I have? I think that is pretty much everything right there. So, yeah, once again, that belt right there with all the quarters in the front. If you have an appendix carry holster that goes over the belt, then uh, that's probably not the one for you. But once again, check out those videos. Check out Dom's videos. There's a bunch of them online you can check out to, uh, to find out what's going to work for you. But... You're going to probably have to do a little trial and error. Uh, that's just how, how it goes. What else? Right here. Just talked to Tulsi Gabbard quite a bit about the Constitution. And this one right here is a nice kind of leather-bound copy, hardcover. And I gave a copy of each one of, of, to each one of my kids at my retirement ceremony from the military. And uh, as I just pulled this out, I'm really glad it says made in the USA right here and not made in China. So made in the USA, uh, highly recommend that you pick these up, give them to your family, give them to kids. Uh, and it just shows that it's more important than other things maybe that you can just look up online. Um, even though obviously the constitution is online and the bill of rights is online, just having a copy like this that you have, uh, an attachment to that's physical, uh, I think it just makes a difference. So anyway, this one right here uh, is always close at hand and was a gift to all my kids at my retirement ceremony. What else here? Oh, that everyday carry, obviously. The Gators, these are the Deltas. I've carried, I wore the Raptors from 1997 or 98 all the way up until just a few weeks ago. And then I tried out these new Raptors and, or try these new Deltas. And I think these are the ones for me going forward. Uh, every 20, 25 years, I might switch up uh, models of Gators. So. That's that. Uh, oh, and that person that wrote that very nasty email was also quite upset about the Winkler Tomahawks uh, for some reason. I think they thought that I was getting all these things for free or had some sort of a, a deal or making a ton of money. But uh, yeah, I make $0 off these just for that person, I guess, that was wondering. Um, I got one for free. Daniel Winkler, been a dear friend for years, and he gave one to me for my military retirement from the SEAL teams. Uh, and then I bought all the ones that I gave to my kids, gave them each one of these at my retirement ceremony as well. And of course, to uh, cast and crew of the terminal list as a thank you. And to Joe Rogan, if you look closely, you can see two of these in the background of his studio there. And uh, yeah, I bought those too. I don't know why that matters, but to that person, very upset, very upset. Spent a lot of time on that email, it seemed like. Once again, I just skimmed it, but it was really long. Um, what else? Bam, look at this thing. Southern Cross, look at this whiskey, veteran owned and operated, high proof bourbon whiskey. Ooh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Yeah, nice, so awesome. Love any chance I get to uh, support veteran owned and operated businesses, uh, especially if they're making whiskey. So thank you guys, that is awesome. And look at this, this is crazy. I don't have the actual book yet, but this is the Japanese cover for the terminal list. So right there. 
kind of cool. And uh, I'm going to get the actual book here at some point, but they sent me uh, this, and I thought that was pretty cool. So, yep, very cool cover for the Terminal List. So if you're looking for it in Japanese, it's available now. And right here. All right, Vickers Guide. Uh, go to vickersguide.com. Follow them on Instagram. Of course, Larry Vickers, Vickers Tactical, former Delta operator. James Ripley takes the pictures. And these books right here. I have, I didn't bring them all down because I have a stack about this tall, but these guys are my first stop when I do research on weapons for the novels. And then I follow up with a call to, uh, to Larry Vickers, to James Ropley, to a bunch of other people I know who are subject matter experts with these things. And uh, Kalishnikov right here. And I love these slip cases. They have 1911. This is the Sig Sauer AR-15. And they have a whole bunch of other ones out there and new ones on the way. The pictures are incredible. And I absolutely love these. So check them out, vickersguide.com. And I think that is it for today. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Be sure and follow Tulsi at Tulsi Gabbard on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to her new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there and click on shop for the merch. And my upcoming novel, Only the Dead, is available for pre-order now. You can check out the title drop video on my Instagram and also on the website. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.